0: Welcome to the Yellow and Green Football Podcast. We're here to bring you everything about Brazilian football, the Seleção Stars in Europe, the national team, all the domestic action and the Copa Libertadores. Glad you could join us. This is yellow and green football. This is our episode number one. We're proud to talk about Brazilian football. I'm Bruno Freitas, talking from Sao Paulo, and I'm here with Joshua Law, also from Sao Paulo, and Tom Sanderson, our man in Barcelona, Spain. How's it going, lads? How are your lockdown days so far? Hiya, Bruno, and, and Josh, and everyone else.
1: Um, yeah, we're on day 23, um, I believe, of a um, some days are, are pretty stressful, some days are, are pretty small, good days and bad days. Um, this has been extended to April 26th there, so we're looking at, at least another three weeks. Um, but I think with some developments in the past couple of days, um, you know, people are starting to maybe have a bit more of a, a positive twist on things, and even in such a bad situation like the they're starting to believe, maybe in Italy and Spain, that that it's hit its peak, and then hopefully, um, you know, the severity of, of the of the outbreak of the pandemic will, will start on a, a downward slide, at least here in, in Spain and Italy, in Europe, um, where some of the countries seem that it's almost against that.
2: Yeah, same here, really. Um, it's good to be here with you for the first episode of the. Yellow and Green podcast, but um, like Tom said, it's up and down days and a bit of boredom, but I've got enough to keep me busy for now. Just important to remember to stay inside when whilst the authorities tell us to do so, I suppose.
0: And so uh, we're Yellow and Green Football. Let's present ourselves to for those who don't know us yet. Uh, we have almost two years as a, a kind of editorial independent brand, sometimes publishing articles on Guardian in UK or on a global newspaper here in Brazil. Uh Josh, what can what people can expect from us in podcast now?
2: Um so we we'll be talking about uh the Brazilian leagues, the domestic leagues, football, um in South America, the Brazilian clubs in continental competitions like the Libertadores. We'll be talking about the Seleção, about players, Brazilian players playing in Europe and in on other continents, um, and just some analysis of things, the the big stories and the, the interesting things that go on around the game.
0: Um, Tom, we we did quite a lot in, in two years uh, with interview. Important players and former players, and we've been working on Copa América stadiums as well. Can you talk a little bit more about what we we've done so far? Yeah. Um, so as I was
1: there in Sao Paulo um, with yourself to to start yellow and green football. Um, in sort of mid to late 2018. And, and yeah, I'm really proud of what we achieved uh, before I left for Europe in in September uh, last year. Um, we did a lot of um, YGF talks, a lot of interviews, some of which, by the time we'd started working with Guardian Sport, were published um, by the Guardian too. And, and then um, on some occasions also by O Globo. Uh, we met a lot of big... Um, former players, uh, a lot of big names, uh, such as Janino, um, or uh, Gilberto Silva, Zeroberto. Um, we've also had some um, current names. Um, I think David Neres is one of the first big um, names that we had when, when Robbie Blakely interviewed him. Um, I'd been hoping more to do more myself in, in Europe here, in, in terms of interviews. Yeah, as I said, I arrived in, in September and then I had to, you know, get my family settled. And then we've just had this um, pandemic, which has disrupted things. But hopefully there'll be more to come from myself in
0: Europe, as well as you guys in Brazil. And well, coronavirus is the issue number one all around the globe. And of course, in international football and in Brazilian football as well. There are a lot of topics to be discussed currently, such as the new calendar, Some people here in Brazil are talking about finally creating an independent league from CBF. Some people are talking about just Brazilian calendar to European calendar. Uh, But at this point, the main clubs are more concerned about uh, don't lose TV rights and concerned about how to pay their players. Even rich clubs as Palmeiras um, are facing hard times. Josh, it's a challenge times for all the Brazilian clubs, right?
2: Yeah, it's a massive challenge. Um, people who are familiar with Brazilian football will know that a lot of clubs, even the big clubs that have a lot of fans, are not in great financial positions anyway. So, any sort of external shock puts them in a pretty uh, difficult position um, in terms of paying players, in terms of paying other staff, um, So, yeah, like you said, even some of the big clubs and then the smaller clubs, I mean, it's even worse than the situation for a club like Palmeiras. Um, A lot of clubs only operate in the first half of the year, the ones that only play in the state championships. Um, So for them not to have the income at the moment means they can't pay their players now and potentially can't plan for for the rest of this year or, or next year. So it is, it's a massive, massive kick for, um, for, for a lot of clubs here.
0: What about Spain, uh, Tom? Uh, this past week, uh, we've seen uh, the Barcelona players accept to, to reduce their wages on 7%, I, I think. And it's a little bit different from the Brazilian scenario, right? yeah um barcelona's players um were, were
1: criticized and, and they, they felt that pressure was being um put on them by the board uh, themselves to to take um to take a pay cut and then Lionel Messi um released a statement on, on monday um on behalf of the players i think initially some people thought it was a, an official statement uh, just from himself as the captain but it was actually on behalf of all the players and that they all shared it you know players such as Artur shared it on their social networks um, as a joint decision that had been made uh, by them I think that you know European club footballers uh, Brazilian or not can you know probably afford to do that more than than, than Brazilian uh, Brazilian players who, who are not as well paid uh, but it has indeed been a, been a big issue um, you can see now and in, in, and I know Josh has written something about this for a, a Brazilian site uh, you can see the pressure has been put in, on on british um, uh, on, on British clubs and players uh, from the Premier League to also take a pay cut which will obviously you know f- affect
0: Brazilians uh, in the premier League um, josh do, do you think it's it's possible to Brazilian clubs finally to discuss uh adjustment to the European calendar? It's, it's a possible debate?
2: Yeah, it's certainly possible. Um, it, it would be ironic if the Brazilian calendar changed to the European calendar and the European calendar changed to the sort of February to December model that that Brazilian clubs currently follow to try and fit it in with the Qatar 2022 World Cup. Um, which is a possibility that's being discussed in some European countries, certainly. Uh, it is. I think it probably would be the right thing to do now. Argentina have moved in that direction. Um, The problem you create is the Copa Libertadores, which runs from February until the final in late November or early December, depending on the year. Um, So the, the, the issue, I think, for Brazilians or South America moving to the European calendar, is that you would really want all of the 10 countries, the 10 CONMEBOL countries, to do it at the same time. You'd want consensus. Um, And consensus in football isn't a very hard thing. It isn't a very easy thing to reach. And consensus in South American football is a doubly difficult thing to reach. So uh, it is possible. It's difficult. It's one of the solutions. I mean... For people who don't know, the the Brazilian National League hasn't started yet. So from late January until April, all Brazilian clubs play in state championships, local championships, which are organized on a state-by-state basis. So we were about two-thirds of the way through those uh, when when this break had to happen. Um, And... Those have now stopped. The Brazilian championship is yet to start. So there are more possibilities for how to proceed than there are in European, big European leagues, for example, where the championships are almost at the end. The the big leagues, the Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, uh, Serie A, they, they've got eight or nine games to go, a lot of them. So there. The sort of you, you can't change the rules of the, the game at this time, you can't, um, you can't adapt it to the situation. But the, the Brazilian National League, it's as it hasn't started yet, there are more options. So, one of those options is to start later in the year to start whenever this, uh, this quarantine or lockdown finishes, whether that is in July. August, September, um, and play like European clubs do until next uh, April or May, perhaps. The other option that has been discussed a little bit in the media uh, is having a shortened championship. As it hasn't started yet, you can change the rules before it begins. So having just a single round of games. So you only play each other team once. So that would be 19 games for each team. And then having a knockout phase, which is how the Brazilian championship used to be organized until 2003. So it's not something that's unfamiliar to most Brazilians, having that sort of shortened league season and then the knockout uh, system. But with that, uh, comes the problem of TV rights. Global, which is the big, um, the big media company in Brazil, pays a substantial amount of money to show the Brazilian championship. And um, if they re- reduce the number of games to uh, a 19-game calendar with a knockout tournament at the end, they would reduce the TV payments. So I think clubs are a bit wary of that.
0: Yeah, there is another topic here, Josh. You mentioned the state championships that were stopped in the middle. The state championships were really important in the development of Brazilian football culture. Uh, when Brazil won its first three World Cups, they were quite relevant. But not anymore, at least from the beginning of this century. They, they don't make any sense anymore in, in the calendar. I don't know how your foreigners see how surreal it is to have a state championships. Of course, of course, Brazil is a huge country, but he, he, you can't imagine it's some well, town you're in, Catalonia, like Catalonia Championship or Bavarian Championship in Germany. Uh, Josh, do you think it's the right time to kill the state championship? I,
2: I, honestly, yeah, I, I think it's long overdue, uh, the the end, the permanent end of the state championships, not just a temporary stop. I don't know if Tom feels the same.
1: Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, it's a pretty poorly kept secret that I was a, a big Corinthians fan, but um, I often, you know, went week in, week out with yourself, Josh. Um, you know, I, I, I appreciate like the history behind it, uh, but it just felt pretty much like a pre-season tournament until it got to like semi-final stage and the big. Four teams that uh, usually meet one another, you know, sometimes uh, so a sort of minute would get through and that added a bit of novelty to it. Um, you know, I saw Corinthians win three um, state championships back to back, which was, you know, nice to see, but I'd much rather have, um, you know, less games uh, in a year and for the quality of the Brasileira out to improve by, you know, players not having to play such a ridiculous amount of games um, over the course of a, a calendar year.
0: So uh, let's move our conversation to Europe. Uh, Sadly, the the European season stopped when Neymar, for instance, seemed to to reach his best. And what the pandemic might mean for top players like Neymar and Coutinho? Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of talk in Europe, uh, especially
1: from uh, journalists that that write for the, the two main papers in, in Catalonia, Sport and Mundo Deportivo. Um, and, and it's been written elsewhere. I think I saw a piece from Jonathan Wilson. Um, I think it was for Sports Illustrated this week, um, touching on this theme that they think that, um, you know, for the foreseeable future, the, the, the days of transfer fees north of, of a hundred million pounds, a hundred million euros, are, are finished for now. Um, President Bartomeu, um, Barcelona's president, he he was speaking to sports and some radio stations um, on Tuesday. Um, I think his first um, intention was to kind of uh, diffuse this, um, you know, potential row between himself or or the board and and the players, you know, with how the players felt criticised and and like pressure was put on them to, to take this pay cut. Um, but he also, you know, he was asked about um, about Barca's two biggest targets this summer, who, who were uh, Neymar and um, Lautaro Martinez from, from Inter Milan. Um, before um, this pandemic, um, you know, Barcelona seemed like they could um, afford both players. I, I think Martinez is he can be released from his contract. I don't, I don't want to talk too much about Argentinian players on, on this podcast, but um, he, he can be bought for, um, I think it's 100 mil, 111 million euros, his, his release fee. And then Neymar, there's a, there's a unique ruling called the Webster ruling, a FIFA ruling that could release him from his contract for, I think 180 million euros, they think providing that he doesn't sign another contract. And, um, with psg and you know that's 300 million euros worth of players that's not going to happen now it's common pretty much common knowledge that Barca can't afford both um and and as a result you know Bartomeu mayo and other other journalists of the clubs have, have said that i think we're going to see a lot more of um part exchange deals like cash plus players so um in terms of Neymar's transfer, you know, there's no way that Barca are going to pay um, 180 million euros for him. Um, an ESPN journalist um, also said that you know Neymar's had a, a, his his relationship with with Leonardo, the sporting director of PSG's, um, you know, broken down completely, and he'd make um, Neymar available for. I think it was like 167 million euros and um, without having to use this Webster ruling. Uh, there's no way that's going to happen either. Um, I think the Barca are going to try and bring that down um, to something, you know, less than hundred million euros and, you know, they're talking about maybe including Antoine Griezmann, but I think Coutinho is definitely going to be involved in a, in a part exchange deal. Um, you know, to be honest, I've seen some talk about him going to Chelsea for maybe 80 or 90 million euros today. Um, if that doesn't happen, then I think he is going to be involved in a in a part exchange deal, or maybe Bayern Bayern Munich are going to be offered him on loan for the season. But I think something that also um, has not been resolved yet is is the fact that um, Coutinho's loan deal at Bayern at the moment expires on June 30th um so i think you know there's everything is still up in the air about all these players on loan um you know many of whom they have deals expiring on june 30th if you know they're talking about maybe la liga starting again at the beginning of june you know what's going to happen to all these players you know there's a few brazilian players involved too um You know, FIFA or UEFA, they're going to have to do something about that. What's going to be done about that? How long are they going to extend it for? Are these players going to go back to the clubs on June 30th? Probably not, I think. But it's going to get quite messy and bureaucratic, I think.
0: And, Josh, uh, I was wondering about the the FIFA best race this season. Uh, Of course, Liga does doesn't count much but I was really hopeful to see Neymar shining on Champions League final stages. He finally managed to play the round of 16. He played really well against Dortmund, but it didn't happen so far. What can you see uh, uh, this moment for Neymar's career?
2: Yeah, his luck at PSG has just been terrible. Um, Two seasons out of the final stages of the Champions League with injury and now this. I mean, you really, you wouldn't wish it on anybody. Um, But yeah, he just has to to deal with it, I suppose. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what happens when they come back, if they manage to play the final stages of this year's Champions League uh, quickly at some point towards the end of this year. If so maybe he'll have the possibility to put himself in the running um, as one of the best players in the world again. Cause I mean, he's just, he's the last two years he's dropped out of the top 10 even. So I think uh, the form he was in for PSG this season before the stop was incredible. Um, he was controlling games and scoring and creating goals at uh, an incredible rate. Um, so it, is, it was really bad timing for him, it, it, and it is a shame. I think, in terms of the transfer, I think the Tom the point Tom raised about uh, part exchanges or ex- just straight swaps might be an interesting one. I think that might be something that that happens. It's not something we see a lot, uh, particularly in European football. You see it a bit more often in in Brazil, um, but just swapping players is is not very common because uh, because it's difficult to come to mutual valuations of the players and the contracts involved are are quite difficult uh, to deal with. But I think that might be a way out for the likes of Neymar, who's obviously not completely happy at PSG, Griezmann, who's not completely happy at Barcelona. Things like that might end up being worked out. Coutinho, Coutinho maybe, um, could go to... A uh, Premier League club in part exchange for a, the sort of player that Barcelona need to add to their squad. So, so you have those situations where uh, a club needs a specific kind of player. Tottenham's been mentioned for Coutinho. Um, so perhaps they could swap him for somebody who, like, I don't know, um, Davinson Sanchez, for example, who might fit in better, who might feel more at home in Spain. Um, yes,
1: sorry to interrupt, Josh. They like uh, Ndombele, apparently. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah 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 well I mean if they think they can get the best out of Ndombele and not out of Coutinho whereas Mourinho thinks he can get the best out of Coutinho but not he doesn't like Ndombele then I mean those sort of deals that it is a risk for both parties but no money ch- changes hands and uh, both both clubs get something that is currently missing in their squad so Yeah, I mean, those options are interesting. And then the contract issue is a huge, huge problem, I think. Any players who are running out of contract in June... I mean, in Brazil, a lot of players have contracts until the end of the state championship, which finishes in the end of April. So their contracts will run until the end of April. And then they'll be without a job. Um, In Europe, most contracts run until June 30th. So if the season does run over into the second half of the year, you might have some difficult contractual situations. For example, Willian, the Chelsea player, um, his contract runs out in the summer, in the European summer. So he might have to have a really sort of short extension to finish the season with Chelsea before moving somewhere else on a free transfer, which is just a, a really odd situation.
0: So let's we are approaching the end of our first episode. Have a final question for you both. Who was the best Brazilian player in European season before the break? Tom, can you start?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's um you know definitely a 2 horse race between um between Neymar and, and Roberto Femino. Um if I was gonna go for maybe a you know a third place, I'd say maybe Casemiro, but but for the two you know, leading horses in the race. Um, I'd I'd say Neymar or or Firmino. Um, I think Neymar, like his season, he started strong, and and the way that like he was playing, even though you know the especially the ultras, PSG's ultras, you know, like really tried to make life difficult for him for the way that he tried to engineer a failed move back to to Barcelona, and then he went on a run uh, I remember PSG had a lot of 1-0 wins and, and it always used to seem to be Neymar that got the winner. And then he got injured. And then in that time that he got injured, leading up to, to sort of new year, um, Firmino went on a, on a phenomenal run. and He was scoring a lot of winners himself, especially like in the Club World Cup semi-final and, and then the final. And then Neymar, you know, at the turn of the year, you know, has been in, in excellent form. But I'm still going to go for Firmino, I think. Um, You know, you're asking who who it is so far and obviously the season's not finished, but I don't know if it will finish. I think if um, Firmino wins the Premier League with Liverpool, then it's got to be him. But then Neymar makes it interesting if he wins the the Champions League with PSG, but I don't think that's going to happen.
0: How about you, Josh?
2: Yeah, I I agree with Tom that it's between... I, I would say those three. I think Casemiro's been brilliant from what I've seen of Real Madrid this season. He's been very, very consistent in a team that's been quite inconsistent, in a team that has a sort of odd mix of very experienced players and very young players and not many uh, in their prime, perhaps. I think he's been a a real standout. Uh, He's helped hold the team together. But yeah, I would put uh, Neymar and Firmino for their contributions right up at the top. I mean, look at Liverpool's season. The thing with Firmino, he was getting a bit of criticism in perhaps the two months before this this stop. After the sort of slightly uh, odd winter break that the Premier League had, his form did drop off a bit. Uh, lots of people were talking about how he hadn't scored at Anfield for a while. But before that, he was unbelievably good. And obviously, everyone always says this with Firmino to the point that he's become a bit clichéd, but it's not just the goals. Um, it is what he does for the rest of the team. It is his energy. It is his pressing. It is all that, the the goals that he sets up and the moves that he creates for Salah and Mane. He is part of the reason why Sadio Mane was leading uh, the scoring charts um, before before the break. So, yeah, I, I think Firmino just edges it, but be, probably because of Neymar's spell out injured, but it would, be, it would have been really, really close had the season kept going because Neymar was coming into some uh, another spell of really excellent form.
0: Well, I, I must confess I really wanted to answer Neymar. It seemed we were starting to see his best in this PSG era. I'd love to see Neymar back at, at Barcelona. And, and I
1: agree, like, it's... Like you know, definitely he always has been like sort of top three best players in the world. And then obviously, you know, he's had his couple of seasons and affected by injury where, you know, from your Ballon d'Or rankings are the best. He's, he's dropped out of uh, sort of that kind of recognisation. But he is like he is one of the world's best players in form. And I think that we can still see, you know, hopefully we can still see the rest of his P cap Barcelona as opposed to PSG.
2: Yeah. I, I completely but, agree with that from a, from a Silesão point of view as well. I think he'd be better for Brazil uh, if he was playing at Barcelona. His best form for Brazil was when he was playing at Barcelona.
0: And I choose Bob Firmino as well. Nine goals and ten assists combining Premier League and uh, UCL. Uh, great performances. And not even mention about what he did in the FIFA Club World Championship last December. The Flamengo fans, uh, for sure, remember that. So, Firmino, there's no controversy among us, (laughs) at least in this first episode.
2: There will be some to come at some point, I'm sure.
0: No, there will. will. (laughs) Well, guys, great debut. There's no games yet, but even so, I I think we have plenty to talk about next time. Uh, We have Ronaldinho jailed in Paraguay for a month. Maybe we can talk about that in the next episode. So take care and good luck in your lockdown experience.
2: Thanks, Bruno. It was really good to get the Yellow and Green podcast up and running, even if it is in slightly strange circumstances. And hopefully um, we can take the listeners' minds off the situation for a while.
1: Yeah, I can't add much more to that. Thanks, Bruno and Josh, and and everyone else who's who's been kind enough to tune in to listen to us bang on for a bit. All right.
0: Thanks, everyone, to have joined us. See you next time.